Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, y'all, it's Amber. Have you been absolutely loving the Amber Ben saga? Maybe on TikTok or maybe on the Sci-Fi Side podcast. If so, join our Patreon for as little as $4 a month. We got something coming up on June 30th. We're doing a book raffle for the award-winning book, New Sons. So join our Patreon and then get a personal message from us if you win that book. (laughs) We also do Patreon shout-outs here on the show and on our Instagram page at the Sci-Fi Side podcast. And I want to welcome two new patrons to the squad. Welcome Quaylen and Jordan. Jordan freaking Wilson, I know you. You know me. Thank you for joining our Patreon. Good to see you, man. So if you want to get a little bit more contact, join our Patreon and win that book, baby. Now let's get started with the show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, a part of the Believe Podcast Network about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in our marriage. Today is episode 38, and we're going to be discussing the major differences between the Amazon Prime TV series, The Underground Railroad, directed by Barry Jenkins, and the book written by Colson Whitehead. Just to give you a heads up, there will be spoilers for the TV show and the book if you have not seen that. And Ben, how we doing? I got to ask you how we doing today first. We're not only discussing differences, but we're also discussing similarities. So compare and contrast. I said that, no. No, you just said differences. Why are you always coming? <clears throat> why are you always are you coming okay? from my throat? You come, I mean, I, I'm choking because you're stepping on my throat constantly. I'm not stepping on your throat. That sounds very violent. So what you been up to, baby? You know, you had a meltdown recently because uh, clutter... Gets, I have a meltdown every other day. Gets but. into your space. Anyway, I've been thinking a lot about space and the importance of organization in the midst of chaos. And let's just jump into like a big difference from this book because this is something that you experienced recently. Um, when your area is not sort of organized, you sort of lose yourself a little bit. And we need order in the midst of chaos. And it just makes me think of that whole... Uh, scene in the book where Cora is focused on maintaining that little plot of land that belonged to her grandmother, uh, Ajari, and that was passed on to Mabel and then passed on to Cora. And even in the midst of this chaos, like it's so important to create order and it keeps your sanity. And right now you have sort of lost a little bit of your sanity because I'm a disorganized person, and you need order. Yes, um, you are listening to a woman on the edge. I Our house is so cluttered. It's just me and Ben, and Ben, you like to hold on to every little thing, and I like to just say, do we need this? Do we use this? When's the last time we wore this? Does this even fit anymore? Get it the fuck out of here if it doesn't. Whereas you're like, no, this is sentimental. Let's organize it. It's like, but when are, when are you actually going to do that? <laughs> Also, listeners, how much do you love that I asked Ben about how he's doing, how his day was going, and he answers with me having a meltdown? Y'all caught that, right? Exactly. (laughs) Don't look at me like that. Do you know what does, Ben? Do you know what does help me get off of the edge a little bit to just get out of my head and into just a better space? everybody's Apple podcast ratings. So we are so, so grateful for all of the Apple podcast ratings that we have received. And I found a couple that I would just like to read right now because um, I'm feeling a little stressed, but y'all make me feel better. So here's a couple. We got Danny from NJ. I promise I'm going to read these exactly as I see them. Danny from NJ writes, love this. Amber and Ben need a TV show. I will listen to them talk about anything. I came because of the TikToks. I'm staying because of the podcast. Thank you, Danny from NJ. And then we got Emma Winsky who writes, what 
What a fun listen. I have to admit, I found this podcast when it was mentioned on Amber's Instagram, which I found during an Instagram reel binge. I was so delighted at not only the playful bantering, but amazing insight. I'm a big sci-fi nerd, but I really enjoy how they approach the different subjects. I hope they keep up this fantastic work. Ooh, and we will, Amber Winsky, we will. And the last one I'm going to read right here. Autumn 11E writes, my favorite couple, I'm a union carpenter. I listen to so many podcasts at work, cleaning, driving, etc. I love you too. Amber, please scream that. Between TikTok and here, I love all of it. However, I sometimes can't hear you. Your audio is low. I'm not taking a star away. I know y'all want a low star rating for street credit. Not here, not. But maybe you can look into that. Thanks. Be great, y'all. We love it. Thank you for that, Autumn. We have been working on this audio, so I'm going to turn this sound up. And Autumn, I want to hear from you and everybody else. Okay, we really finna start the show for real. All right, Ben, so we both just finished the book, The Underground Railroad. Obviously, we watched the TV series together. What stood out to you right away as some things that you maybe like loved about the book or saw as major differences? Well, overall, I loved the TV show more than the book. Shut up. Yeah, it sort of was, it reminded me of the first season of Game of Thrones where the first book of Game of Thrones is almost beat for beat from the first season. And yeah, there was, the TV show was better. The The book felt like a first draft and then the TV show felt like a really great um, edit of parts of the book that needed to be edited and then added parts that need to be added uh, were added. What are some parts in the TV show that really stood out to you that you loved and you were sort of disappointed in the book? Yeah, this the whole through line with Grace um, was not inside the book at all. That sort of disappointed me. I guess the whole uh, part with, uh, which we'll get into, I guess, uh, Ridgeway's father, where Ridgeway's father was sort of a jerk in the book as well, where in the TV show he is a a spiritual, kind, caring person. And in the book, he's not like that at all. I mean, he references the great spirit a little bit, but at the same time, he, you know, refers to black people with the N-word in the book, where in the TV show, he's very clearly an abolitionist, Ridgeway's father. I want to talk a little bit about that for a second, because I, I see how the TV series got there, right? In the book, Martin's dad was a heavy abolitionist. So if we remember, Martin is who we met in North Carolina and Cora and Grace were stored in his uh, his uh, attic. So we learn in that story that Martin's dad is like this huge abolitionist, like not like what Martin's doing, like let's hide these people in this attic and forget about them. Like this guy's making the pamphlets, risking his life, helping to save like hundreds of thousands of black people escape slavery. And so then Martin is saving like one or two, hoping his dad is going to be one day proud of him. It sounds like they tried to capture the essence of Martin's dad and put that in Ridgeway's dad. Do you see that kind of happening? Yeah, they did that with a couple characters. For example, on uh, Valentine's farm, there's this uh, sort of philosopher Lander and uh, Lander is the one who has this big debate with Mingo right. at the end, where in the TV show, they combine Valentine and Lander. And it, that's like one of the big things of short story writing or writing in general, is if you're telling a story and you have too many characters, just combine aspects of those characters. You took that short story class, remember? Or the storytelling mm-hmm. class? I took. A, I did take a storytelling class, yeah. Remember that? That was one of the advice that they gave you. Yeah, I... I- 
I, I like that. I just sometimes I'm like, oh, it kind of would have made sense if it was over here instead. Or it, it was it was interesting reading the book. Sorry, and, what, what do you mean by over here? I'm saying if it was Martin's dad instead of Ridgeway's dad that they did it with. But, but I realized why they did that because Ridgeway just needed a little bit more depth. But it's disappointing to hear that like, you were really supportive of Ridgeway's dad, and he mostly was only disappointed in Ridgeway because he's like, I wanted you to be a blacksmith. I don't care about these Negroes. I just wanted you to work for the family business, and now you don't. But he, he didn't really care so much about the humanity of black people. It was more of like a, you chose the wrong livelihood thing. Yeah. Also, he they we mentioned this in the last episode, but they explicitly... Uh, mentioned that Ridgeway's father makes chains in the book for slaves. And in the first review of our part one of our Underground Railroad, I mentioned that the the item that ironically young Ridgeway fucks up making in the TV show are chains, are these links. And so I thought that was really interesting that the book explicit, explicitly references this entire economic system in which the blacksmith made chains for the slavers. I thought that was super, super bizarre. Yeah, well, whereas we were doing that mental hurdle uh, on our own with the TV show. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Ridgeway's story, right? Like, let's just stay there for a second. Because the book also didn't have Mac in it. So in the TV series, there was this little kid that Ridgeway lured into a well um, he was like, the great spirit's down there. You should go get it. He lures this little kid into the well. Obviously, this kid like breaks his foot or something and has a limp for the rest of his life. And then that character, Mac, is growing up. We see in the, the TV series. And there's this whole like scuffle and debacle with how Cora is rescued from Ridgeway. That looked completely different in the book, obviously, because Mac's character did not exist. Why do you think Barry Jenkins chose to include or make up this Mac character? Maybe it wasn't him, but you know, the writers. I think it was to make Ridgeway a more complicated character. I mean, in the book, Ridgeway is just an asshole, awful human, uh, where in the TV show, he was way more complicated, way more nuanced, and way more terrifying. Like, when someone becomes evil, despite having a powerful, like, upbringing in the sense or an ethical upbringing and and even being surrounded by other black people like that made Ridgeway in the TV show that more terrifying I you know both of us have siblings though and at this farm in the TV show where Ridgeway leads Mac down and sort of you know commits this massive act of cruelty and in the book there's just lots of random acts of cruelty it made me think like of some times where I've had like random acts of cruelty done to my to my sisters. I have three sisters or they've done to me. Have you ever done like a random act of cruelty for... Why don't you admit what yours is first and then I can be like, oh, I, I can see myself doing something like that. Well, <laughs> my sister was on the swing once and she was just sitting and she was eating crackers. And I remember just walking up to her and flipping the swing and she fell and she dropped all her crackers onto the dirt and she like skinned her knee. And I felt so guilty. Like for some yeah, reason. Why, why did you do that? I don't know. I, I there. I think there's, it was almost like sociopathic. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I felt so guilty afterwards. Maybe I thought it was like a joke. I, I don't know. So you're saying 
you're you're sympathizing, not sympathizing, but relating and resonating with Ridgeway's actions because you're like, we were all raised by the same parents. I don't know why I decided to go this way with my thoughts and feelings. Because you went that, like, you have veered, like, cruelty aside, you've also veered in different ways religiously, and those have worked out for you or helped you or you know, allowed you, you furthered your education and, or sometimes it's good to get out of those small cities. So, but maybe you're just looking at it as just the cruelty part. Well, or, or the fact that humans have this propensity. I mean, first of all, reading the underground railroad is way more brutal. I felt like the brutality was way more intense than the TV show or the, there's this cavalierness in which Colson Whitehead writes these horrific events it you know uh, where the tv show took entire episodes to build up or to sort of reflect on a, a very heinous violent act in the book it's given a paragraph and then we move on did you feel that at all no uh i do not but i i really 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 like stylistically enjoy what he does and how he builds and how he um, I, I wouldn't say he trivializes those things, but he sort of desensitizes you to them in, in a way because it's like, this is what happens. This is how things go. But when he when he uplifts me and inspires me, it's so, so, so good. Like, I really enjoyed the parts. I, I, I'm curious to go back and see, like, there are these little excerpts that start each chapter that have like fugitives wanted whatever and and he writes so well that I'm I'm wondering like oh are these real are they yeah you, yeah you got to you always got to read the acknowledgments amber all right so in the acknowledgments he okay. says the runaway slave advertisements are real they're from the digital collections at the University of North Carolina okay so because he is uh, not world building, but sort of like setting the background for us for this book. If you're including things like that in the book, you have to sort of match that energy with your style of writing, right? So you can't have like slave, you know, girl, high yellow skin, on the run, whatever. Like like that's how those things were described. So I, I think he matched that tone with what he did. And I think that those... I think that those really grounded him. Like those were some of the parts of the book where I was just like, I really enjoy these parts. P. Jelly Clark's ring shout did that as well. Like those slave notations. Mm. They really set the scene. Like like when I was reading this book, I truly felt like I was taken to a different time period. When I was looking at TV series, like still so, so, so good, but it was a little bit more easy for me to just like turn it off and keep going. Whereas when I'm reading real slave fugitive, like wanted dead or alive signs, I'm, I'm really grounded in it. You didn't feel that? Or the book just still felt like blah to you? It didn't, it did not feel blah to me. I would not describe it that way. I would just, I would say that the, oh, you're almost describing like a journalistic approach mm -hmm. or almost a, yeah, it feels like a journalistic approach where Barry Jenkins created this like m like musing piece of art. And sort of in preparation for this podcast, I watched Moonlight and it felt very reflective of what he was doing in Moonlight, like that broodingness, the reflection, mm -hmm. the long shots where this just the book seems to sort of sort of hit you and then move on, like hit yes. you and then move on. 
And there are elements of that in the TV show. For example, when Royal gets killed in the TV show, it's very similar to how he gets killed in the book. He's killed, and then Korra is immediately, you know, uh, taken away from Ridgeway. So there are elements of that. It just seemed that the journalistic approach of, you know, A, B, C, D, it was not sort of what Barry Jenkins did in the TV yeah. show. Barry Jenkins likes to take his time and pace things out and build. I, I, I definitely agree with that because I'm currently right now, I loved the Underground Railroad so much that I bought and picked up one of Colson Whitehead's other books, The Nickel Boys, and it does the same thing. Like something insane will happen and it'll be like chapter three. I'm like, wait, we're not, we're not going to talk about this person that just like literally just died in the most brutal way. Like we're just going to move on to the next thing. So I see, I see what you're saying with that. I, I think I liked the book more. Yeah, what made you like the book more then? I'm just curious. Just how we get to know these characters. Like, I really enjoyed in the book, um, just to, you know, get us on a little bit of a trail here. I really enjoyed, so in North Carolina, Martin and his wife, Ethel, right? The book had a whole backstory on Ethel that I really appreciated. And every character whether we hated them or we loved them has a huge backstory and, and a little bit more light shed on them. And so in the book, Ethel, um, who is this like very religious, obviously she's scared to hold these slave women in her home. But so let me break, let me break down why I really, really enjoyed the Ethel narrative. Right? So in the book, Cora is in Ethel's attic. We learn about how Ethel as a child was like super religious and had this, uh, black childhood friend named Jasmine, right? And so Jasmine was obviously like the house girl that her family owned and whatever, but Ethel used to play with this little girl when they were kids. And then as they both slowly get a little bit older, we learn that Ethel's dad rapes her friend Jasmine. And um, Ethel's dad is like walking upstairs because in this way, um, in, in Ethel's childhood home, Jasmine also lives upstairs, maybe not in an attic hiding, of course, but like her quarters are upstairs. And so Ethel talks vividly about seeing her father going upstairs and not really knowing what he's doing, but knowing that my dad going up the stairs is a bad thing and, it, and it's causing turmoil in my parents' relationship, right? And so what we have years later is... Ethel's husband going up these stairs for a reason that stirs Ethel as well for, for a different reason. Right. So, so Ethel has this whole sort of trauma and narrative around going up the stairs, either for rape or for housing or for show showing slaves attention that's being taken away from her. And I, I know I'm like misconstruing all this, but those like poignant moments were something that the show and the TV series did not have time for that. I really, really appreciate it in the book. So every character, like if you saw the TV show, you know, Ridgeway got a whole backstory, but in this book, everybody got that. Like, I love that the book jumped in right with Cora's grandmother, Ajari. Like that's a great place to start versus you know just Cora so so it all matters and I don't I just don't think that would have translated well in a tv show but I like starting with someone's grandparent the, if somebody gave the story of your life where would you want them to start in a book versus a movie you know what I'm saying oh I, I'd have to think a while for that I mean maybe maybe at this the start of the universe <laughs> 
<laughs> personally like okay, that would be that would well, be really you, fascinating yeah. like to see all the atoms that eventually came together to make me up and to see their their nexus from like billions of years ago and if see, somebody was doing a movie all your life yeah i think that would be so fascinating to start a movie like that okay but i want to come back to ethel because the parts that stuck out to to you about ethel were not the spark the parts that stuck out to me what stuck out to me about ethel was this almost like um uh how would you uh this insane desire to proselytize and to convert um uh africans and specifically wanting to go to the dark of africa mm-hmm. that and it, save. It, it constantly referred mm-hmm. to and save them like the globe's most yeah you know, crazy, deranged beasts. Like, that's her mission or whatever. I went back and listened to our previous episodes on this, and I think at one point I called Ethel an abolitionist, and she is very clearly not an abolitionist. I remember telling... Oh, I'm so glad you said that, because I remember saying, she not no abolitionist. Yeah, she she says that if God wanted black people to be free, she wouldn't have... God wouldn't have had them be in chains or whatever. And there's lines in this. So Ethel is... is, I don't know. It's like there's this um, religious ecstasy type of mental illness where some people have this. I think it's a mental illness where people are like religiously obsessed with like converting others or pleasing God. I forgot the name of it. Um, I'll have to look that up later. But Augustine went through it. But it's this anxiety, this divine anxiety almost to make to see if you're pleasing God or not. And Ethel has that. That scene which is not really, it's shown a little bit in the TV show when she's praying over uh, Cora when Cora gets sick, but it's very clearly portrayed in the book. Yeah, that's right. That's that's a powerful difference. Ajari and Ethel's backstory. Ben knows this, but I love watching shit about like cults and extreme beliefs. Like that is my shit from Scientology to like, what is it? The Buddha fields, the family of God, all of that. I, I'm so fascinated by this. And I'm sure you're just like, why is she watching this again? Um, but one time on the cults and extreme beliefs, there was this lady from, what is it? The Federalist Latter-day Saints. It's like the fundamentalist, uh, something like that. The very, very, very strict Mormons, I want to say. And this woman came forward and was having a discourse with somebody who had left that group. And she wouldn't even look at him. And, and he was like, hey, like, I still have so much love for these people that raised me. I just had to get out of some of these, like, very, very extreme practices and behaviors. And and at that point, their their leader had been, like, in prison for all these child brides. It was, in, you know, a, a chaos. And the woman, like, the, the moderator was like, how do you respond to all of this stuff? And she was like, I can't respond to all of this stuff because I need my religion. Like there, there's, there's next to nothing you can tell me about the damage that's done because I need this way more than it needs me. And, and how that need, like, she's literally saying to them, like, I know that this happened. I don't care that this happened because if I lose this religion, I lose everything. So I I need to be here. And so sometimes it's kind of just like people saying like, I have to stay here because I have no identity outside of this. You know, and I feel like that's big ethyl energy as well. And I mean, on that note, let's go take a religious break. I'm going to go 
pray. Hey friend, what you doing? Cleaning up, working out, or just plain old living your best life? Whatever you do, you better do it in some leggings and something comfortable. I get my leggings from Rome Loud. Rome Loud is a black-owned business by a black girl boss who celebrates navigating the world boldly. And now you can get leggings for 15% off using the promo code HOTMESS15. So do your yoga, do your shopping, do your Trader Joe's, and don't forget to use that code. Check out RomeLoud.com. Now let's get back to the show. And we are back. I loved this book by Robert Louis Stevenson growing up. It was called The Body Snatchers. And the whole book was about people going up and digging up bodies and like selling them to doctors and sort of like, it is a creepy, terrifying book. And um, it's a short story. And there is an entire short story very similar to that. Robert Louis Stevenson's, I think it's called The Body Snatchers, inside here. And we don't get that in the TV show. So in the TV show, we do have this sort of sympathetic doctor, Dr. Stevens, who is very kind to Cora. And we learn more about Cora's uh, past when she goes and visits him when um, she is inside North Carolina, when she's in North Carolina, sort of in the earlier of the TV show. And in the story, we get Dr. Dr. Stevenson's background, which goes into your whole point. Like the book gives more background, but you really liked that. I had actually forgotten about that scene. And until you brought it up, you're like, wait, you didn't like the whole grave digger narrative and how Mm -hmm. there's a line in there where it says that only in death, black people became humans because it was just so common to go up and dig up black graves because they knew the black folk would not go knock on the sheriff's door and they would sell them to Um, They would take the grave diggers would take these black bodies and sell them to um, doctors to study. I think that that uh, that line uh, it's on page 147, by the way, in death, the Negro became human is this idea that the black body is more valuable in death because you're like. Now I can study you for scientific purposes and and things like that. Sorry, page 142. In death, the Negro became human. Only then was he the white man's equal. Um, Because, you know, once we strip away everything anatomically, we're all the same. And that, I mean, what a chilling line. It's really sad to think about that. I'm more valuable dead than alive. Like, he said it perfectly. I don't need to add anything to that. But the, the whole idea of, like, literally unearthing dead bodies for scientific medical purposes, I'm sure that's, like, a rampant problem is is just, ugh. Yeah, there's there's this whole idea of maybe we call it, like, the, uh, what's the term? Like, uh, when someone, the great contradiction. Like, okay. America has this great co- contradiction, which is, founded on the idea of, you know, what is it? Three-fifths make a black person. A black person is three-fifths when they were sort of developing our current um, political system of voting. Like, how many votes should you have inside the electoral house? So they would use the three-fifths of a black person to determine how many electoral votes, even though black people weren't allowed to vote. Anyway, the whole electoral college, super racist. And that idea while at the same time like going and digging up bodies or the idea even 
that Terrence Randall, we find out later at the book, he's he's he dies and he dies in New Orleans in a Creole house. Like he do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. So Terrence Randall dies because he frequents a Creole house for like, like sexual pl- yeah, oh, yeah, like sexual like, pleasure. Are, so he goes to a house? Okay, I I guess. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a Creole brothel. And that whole idea is part of this great contradiction. And there's yeah, it's this book sort of pulls that out in a very like clear way. It, and the fantastical elements aren't really as prevalent inside the book. No, not at all. That's a really great point to make. I'll I'll say lastly about the the value of the black body. I, I've always just been so I don't know. It, I, I try to separate myself from it, but it's like, no, I'm a part of this as well. But it's it's so bizarre to me that I mean that that shit starts at like babies and orphanages. Like black kids literally cost less than white kids, and they'll try to be like, well, you know, more black babies are abandoned than white babies. That's so we have more black babies, which which could be true or whatever. But it's really like I read this full Atlantic article once about how black babies are like 50% the cost of white babies. Cause you know, there's this sort of like not trend, but you, you do see a lot of white families who adopt black babies or Asian babies or whatever. And sometimes you just are like, well, that's interesting that, you, you know, it's, it's not weird or anything, but you're just kind of like, you you inquire a little bit and so i remember one time like sitting and reading this atlantic article i was like oh black babies literally cost less or are easier to get and then you know you you get to things like from auction blocks for trading slaves to like even how these nba players are like traded back and forth to teams for like exorbitant amounts of money you're just kind of like this the the monetization of black people's bodies and And it's always exclusively bodies. It's just so prevalent in our society. Like it's not minds. It's or brain power. Any of that. It's like I want to study your muscles. I want to study your body. I want to do this syphilis experiment on you. Like that. I I just don't see an end in sight for that. For me, this is this whole idea of like America having this tradition. For example, it's. It started with black people, but we do it with immigrant labor, right? Like we continue, mm-hmm. we continue to do this in different ways. But that all stemmed from like slave labor. Yeah, it it's all like- exactly. It's just we we find the next thing, right? Um, or or the the next person or the next next group of people to capitalize on their labor. Like that is that's an American tradition. Cash is um. How do you feel about, um, you know, connecting text to world? So, you know, obviously growing up, my parents had the three of us and my my brother. And sometimes a neighbor, I, I, and I don't think it was racially charged at all, but sometimes a neighbor would say, it's just Georgia. They'd be like, oh, does your boy cut grass or something like that? Like, he can come over here and cut my grass for 15 bucks or whatever. And obviously Aaron would be like, fuck, now, now you just like signed me up to go like you literally just outsource my labor to a neighbor who I don't talk to, who I don't fuck with, who, you know, back in the day probably wouldn't even paid Aaron the money to do it. They would have just paid the parents. Like, wh- how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think, you know, that's 
you know, neighborhood kids washing cars for cheaper or like schools yeah, putting on like, did that yeah, up. yeah. Schools putting on car washes and like capital. Well, again, it comes down to capitalizing on labor cheaply, right? It used to be capitalized on labor for free, which is slavery. And now whether it's, you know, then we actually, we went through a whole stage. America went through a whole stage where, well, slavery is, you know, uh, illegal. So what do we do? So we capitalize on child labor, right? And child labor became a thing. Or, like or, or the um, or the waistcoat factory fire. Remember that on, you know, went forcing women to work long, long, long hours. And they ended up just all burning in the really famous um, coat. Do you remember this? Yeah. Uh, that, and, you know, then we developed unions and now the whole, with unions, we sort of allowed the workers to get equitable age, but now there's all this pushback to stop unions from growing. Uh, and again, it's this whole cycle, this American battle that tugs back and forth um, of, of labor and getting labor cheaply or freely, whether it's from a child, whether it's from um, it, it, the whole idea, that idea, I, I don't know if it was racially charged. I yeah, mean, yeah, I maybe, think- but I think it's, it stems from this idea of like we want labor cheaply and we don't want to pay someone professionally to come and cut it because we don't believe people should be paid equitably. That's sort of the idea. So we have a kid one day and they want to get a job when they're 15. What, what's the dialogue there? I mean, the dialogue is no, no job. Like you, you're you, not gonna let our kid get a job if they no. want one. Because I was the, I literally got my first job at age fifteen. Fuck and, no, because I Absolutely. wanted my own money. Abs- no. Okay, let's let's have a serious conversation about this. So why would you not? If our child wants to go work somewhere, why would you not let them do it? Because you need to be working on developing your skills. Like when you're fifteen years old, you you should, in my opinion, right? When you're working, you're stealing labor from a full-grown person like you don't need that money to survive us you know me having as a teacher you as an actor you don't need that job so when kids what if they want their independence they're what if they're just going to be like a little amber so no absolutely what if they want co-workers no no you you sign up for a summer camp you sign up for skateboard camp you sign up fuck i'd let them play football before i let them get a job because i think when you let a kid get a job so young you put this idea that cheap labor is okay. Like I'm going to work $15 an hour. No, absolutely not. You should not be working $15 an hour. You should be working for, you know, $25 an hour, right? Like there's enough money in our economy to provide jobs like that, but we're not willing. And I think it stems back to slavery. We had some friends come over and we're like, shit, just everything stems back to slavery (laughs) over and over again. I do want to, before we wrap this up, there is one line that's sort of repeated and it's said in the beginning of the TV show, and it's also said in the beginning of the book, where um, basically it says, you know, if you get on the train and look out the train, you'll see what this country is really about. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really understand that line until I read the book, because at the sort of at the end of the book, Cora has this reflection. And throughout the entire book, you get Cora's inner monologue and she's a philosopher. Cora is a philosopher of this book, and I love her internal monologue that you sort of miss when you are watching the TV show. Uh-huh. But, but at one point, remember, she says, when you look out, out the you, window, you can out see the it. window, America for what it is, essentially. And basically, it's just darkness. She's like, because you're riding an underground railroad. And ultimately, the underground railroad leads to nowhere. 
and and the book becomes and i think i had mentioned that in our last episode but the book explicitly lays that out the book is 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 a great accompaniment to the tv show and it brought out things from the tv show that i missed and it was they work well together but they they sort of exist as two separate entities yeah but me yeah um let's get really quickly into some size because i got one I know you got one as well, but my biggest tie, OMG, if you're still out there listening, they, so in the book, Jasper was um, the slave that Cora met um, when she was in Tennessee, who sang, sang hymns to himself, and Cora sort of described it first as being funny in the head. He's literally just shot in the face in the book, which I hate it because in the TV series, he had such a powerful storyline about how he uh, sort of took control of his own destiny and starved himself. Like, we literally devoted time last week to talking about ethical suicides and stuff. And so to see that, like, none of that happened in the book was like, damn, Colson Whitehead. Or maybe, I don't know, I want to believe Colson Whitehead said, like, uh, I didn't do this one character right in the book. Can we put this in the story, in the in the TV series instead? Because um, it was so beautifully crafted. I was like, there's no way he didn't have a hand in the, the fall of this character. But I, I was really disappointed in the book because I, I was like, oh, I'm waiting for this very poetic, very well-written storyline about Jasper and, and that to no end. Yeah, and in to no avail, rather. Right, and in that whole scene, Bozeman is the one who's shot and killed because Bozeman is sort of um, egging young Ridgeway on, and Ridgeway shoots him in the face. Well, Bozeman was shot in the movie, the TV series as well. uh, Right, in the TV series, uh, Ridgeway kills him, but in the book, uh, it's Royal and his oh the people who rescue Cora they kill Bozeman where I mm-hmm. thought it was just way more compelling to have Bozeman shot and killed by Ridgeway. I agree. Um, I, I mean, I, I have to say, like, old Ridgeway in the TV show was one of my favorite characters. Old Ridgeway? Yeah, oh. as far as, like, tertiary characters, I loved Cora. She was my favorite. In the book, she is even more, like, beautiful and powerful and she what? resilient. Beautiful, powerful, and resilient in the book mm. um and like cool. where there's really not like any t- t- any tertiary character in the book is not really elaborated on to an extent that i felt like very much attached with where in the tv show there was a lot of tertiary characters i felt deeply connected with like for example caesar incredible and there's this uh um and in the in the book uh, my big sigh in the book is that Cora doesn't shoot and kill Ridgeway. He just falls and like slowly bleeds out. Where in the TV show, she she shoots him. In the book, though, she does kick him three times in the face when she's first captured. And in the TV show, she shoots him three times in the chest. One for Lovey, one for Jasper, one for Caesar. But in the book, she says she kicks him in the face three times. One for Lovey, one for Caesar, one for Jasper. And she I also said that- she wanted to believe it was for those three, but... Ultimately, it was oh, yeah. for herself. Yeah. yeah, ultimately, it was for herself. Yeah, that was great. I would say that's that's the big sigh I have, not having old Ridgeway there and not having Cora shoot and kill um, uh, young Ridgeway. Love it. And Ben, with that being said, why don't you warp up the show? In conclusion, read The Underground Railroad. It really is a nice way to bookend 
this series that we had on the Underground Railroad. They complement each other so well. Um, I think the TV show shows more about the book and the book shows more about the TV show. Honestly, like a beautiful cycle and it is your duty as an American, I think, to watch the TV show and read the book. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side. We about to watch movies for the rest of the month, y'all. Get ready to laugh because we're going to be watching Meet the Blacks and Meet the Blacks 2, the American comedy horror film directed by Dion Taylor. Now, Meet the Blacks 2 comes out on June 11th, but we want to be ready for that premiere. Mike Epps, Cat Williams, I cannot wait. So be sure to watch Meet the Blacks. Meet the Blacks 2 drops June 11th, and we will see you next week for the show. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.